Colossians 3, verse 18 says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything. Amen. For this pleases the Lord and the parents, quite frankly. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged or embarrass them in church. Verse 22, slaves, obey your earthly master in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be, will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. Chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Okay, so there's a few ways we could look at this passage. First of all, we could talk about, about God's pattern for the nuclear family, husbands, wives, and children, where love and submission and obedience are due and how they work. We could deal with the whole male and female debate and controversies culturally, historically, contemporarily. Who wears the metaphorical trousers? Or thirdly, we could look at how Jesus began the process of completely changing how oppressive and domineering societies looked at and treated their slaves, a process that took nearly 2,000 years to unfold. And all of those are great conversations, but they're not quick ones. And I'm sure you're okay with me just doing one verse per week, as I have been for the last few but I think taking three weeks to unpick all of that might stretch even your much-appreciated grace and patience. So, we're going to do it like this. You know, this passage is, is not just a few random thoughts hung in the middle of nowhere. These verses, they're the, they're the logical next step. They're the natural flow of this whole letter, they're, they're the next piece in, in the unfolding of what Paul is teaching in the book of Colossians. And if that's the case, a quick reminder of where we've just been. Chapters 1 and 2 talk about who Jesus is. This is what he did, and this is what it means for you and me. And the key message we learned was that, was that everything must be viewed through the lens of his deity and his lordship. Spinning off of that, Paul starts to look at who we are. A reconciled people. Forgiven sinners, his adopted children. He explains that we are alive in Christ We've been set free by his conquest. We've been made complete through our union with him. Now, as a result of all that, we, we are all on the road to maturity. And then chapter 3, which we've been going through for the last month or so, progressively lays out 
that journey into maturity. It begins, if you remember a few weeks ago, Colossians 3 verse 1, it begins with setting our hearts and setting our minds on things above, not things below. That, that there's, an, there's an old nature that needs to be taken off, that needs to be put to death. And then there's a new one, like a, like, like a new garment needs to be put on. Paul describes it as compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And then having worked through those, those, those uh, details, Paul then gives, gives these two golden rules that we've looked at for the last couple of weeks, these golden keys. The first one is, is let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. And the second one we saw last week is then let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And having worked our way through those 17 verses, now we come to the climax. Now we come to the culmination of all that's gone before. And it's this. With all of that in place, all of chapters 1 and 2 and 3 so far, with all of that in place, you can have healthy, loving, godly relationships. Not only that, you can have them in your own home, amongst your own family, where it matters the most, where, frankly, it will be tested the most. In other words, the big message here is, is that faith in Jesus not only changes individuals, verses 1 through 17, but it actually changes entire homes. Now, of course, our our relationships strike at the very core. They're so vital to, to our personal health and well-being. As people who deeply long for love and for connection, for affirmation, it's our broken and scarred and fractious relationships that give us the most discomfort and disquiet, give us the greatest angst and anxiety. It's also our relationships that have the potential to give us the most pleasure and the most comfort and the most support. But there's a big if. And the big if is, is that Christ has been allowed to take his rightful place in your life, in your home, as God and Lord. That, that you're living in the reality of of the new identity as laid out in the flow of Colossians chapter 3. That is that your mind is set, your old nature dead, your new clothing on, the peace of Christ is ruling and the word of Christ is dwelling. But the good news is, if those things are in place, then you can have whole and wholesome relationships as described in the rest of chapter 3. Now, in the first half of Colossians 3, Paul spends quite a bit of time contrasting carnality on one side and spirituality on the other. And what Paul is doing here is he's, he's laying out what it means to have spiritually mature relationships. Now, when, 
when, when we looked at the first half of this chapter, there were seven imperatives that jumped out to me. And in this particular section, it's four verbs. There are four actions, four attitudes, if you like, that will be the hallmark of spiritually mature relationships. And those four verbs are, number one is submit, number two is love, number three is serve, and number four is encourage. Verse 18, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Verse 19, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Verse 21, fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Verse 23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Here's the point. If those four practices take their proper place in your heart, if they take their proper place in your values and in your communication and in your reactions, then you can have mature, healthy whole relationships, especially in your own home where it matters the most. The flip is if you remain carnal, that means dominated by the flesh, but the old ways of sin and selfishness. It means remaining impulsive and reactive and defensive. Then rather than being spiritually measured, or spiritually constrained, or, or dare I say, spiritually inspired. If you allow those things to dominate, then you will have carnally immature relationships rather than spiritually mature ones. In which case, instead of submission, you'll have disrespect and dishonor, even rebellion. Instead of love, It'll be taking and consuming and abusing. Instead of serving, if it's carnal, people resort to demanding and to self-seeking, to entitlement. And instead of encouragement, if it's carnal, you'll have discouragement and criticism and what Paul says, embitterment which I'd say, my goodness, who wants any of that? And yet in today's world, we see so much dishonor. We see so much abuse. We see so much entitlement. We see so much graceless discouragement. That's because people, sadly, are carnal. But they simply haven't opened the door wide enough really let Jesus in and change their hearts. And yes, I am talking about Christians. Now, the flip to that is if we will allow these four actions, these four attitudes to dominate our relationships, if, if we will submit, if we will love, if we will serve, if we will encourage, then, then that will have very different outcomes. It'll produce very different fruit. And the good news is we'll have very different relationships. So let's fly through those four actions, those four attitudes, those four imperative verbs, if you like, really quickly. 
The first one is to submit. The word submit, as I'm sure you know, means to honor and to respect and to defer wherever it's due. Of course, the concept of submission comes with, with a mixed reputation because it is open to abuses. But you know what? Submission, submission where submission is due is crucial to our flourishing individually, actually as a society. Of course, that starts with, with a personal willingness to, to submit to, to the word of God and submit to the spirit of God. And of course, if we do that, everything else should fall naturally into alignment anyway. All right, so, so three places we must submit. Number one is where governmental authority has been appointed. Number two is where spiritual headship has been delegated. And number three is where love requires it. Romans 13, verse 1, everyone must submit to governing authorities. For all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. Hebrews 13, verse 17, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give account. And Ephesians 5, 21, and further, submit to one another out of reverence Christ. You know, thinking about this, one of the challenges, I think, behind the concept of submission is that it appears to create two categories of people, leaders and followers. The problem is the half of the people are terrified of taking the lead, and the other half are unwilling to follow. So we have an uncomfortable stalemate. What did Jesus have to say? Matthew 20, verse 25. This is Jesus speaking. He said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You see, in what I would call upside-down gospel world, submission and leadership and followership are not about exercising power. It's not about the demanding of rights. It's actually about about facilitating someone being able to step into their spiritual role, their, their spiritual calling, so they can serve you unhindered. Because as Jesus said there, to lead is to serve. And so if you, if you resist rather than submit, actually you stop them from being able to serve you effectively you create a, a blockage so that you can no longer receive from them what God has appointed and anointed them to give you. That principle applies in the home. It applies in government. It applies in the church. Submission is, 
submission, where submission is due, is an open valve that facilitates people being able to step into and flourish in what God has called them to do for you. Whether that's as, as, as a husband to you as a wife, whether that's as a mother to them as your children, whether that's as a shepherd to you as the Lord's sheep, or as a government official attempting, we hope, to cultivate a free and fair and prosperous society. At least that's how it's supposed to work. I think in the light of this week's news, I'm going to keep quiet on that particular topic today. Now, submission is not a necessary evil. It is a blessing directly from God. But you know what? It takes maturity to submit, especially when leaders are imperfect. Could you imagine? But you know what? Dishonor and disrespect and rebellion are ugly and damaging, and dare I say, carnal things. Things which, as maturing Christians, we should be growing out of. So number one is submit. Number two is love. Now, I, I wrote first wrote first draft of this section on one on Wednesday, and on Thursday the wordle was agape. And I thought to myself, if that's not a confirming wordle from the Lord, <laughs> nothing is. Took me four goes to guess that. So just as Jesus redefined and modeled what it means to submit, he also taught us how to love. Luke 6, verse 27, but to you who are willing to listen, I say, that's you, isn't it, folks, willing to listen? Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, Offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. And another famous passage, John 15, 12. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. So the God kind of love, agape, is about giving, not taking. It's about serving, not demanding. It's about yielding, not digging your heels in. It's about putting their needs ahead of yours. It's about laying down your rights rather than demanding what you feel you're owed. And do you know what spiritual maturity gives? Spiritual maturity serves and yields and lays down. Carnality takes. Carnality demands and carnality digs its heels. Love, agape, is about blessing, not cursing. It's about building up, not tearing down. It's about sticking with, not giving up. It's about being gentle, not harsh. It's about being contented and not jealous. 
And it's about doing all of that to whomever, whenever, whatever. Again, all of those things are the result of spiritual maturity as opposed to carnality. And of course, they produce a very different fruit, particularly in your relationships. Number three, I'm warming up, speeding up now. Number three is, is to serve. We've already touched on this, I guess. Again, Jesus demonstrated in stunning and unexpected ways what it means to serve. Luke 22, 27. But who is greater? The one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. And Mark 9, 35. Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. I reckon if you're a servant of all, you've put yourself right at the bottom. You know, there are, there are, there are a, a relatively small proportion of people who serve instinctively because God has wired and gifted them that way. But you know, for the majority of people, their flesh at least wants to be served. See, carnality wants it to be about them and for them and to revolve around them. Paul is saying, by the time Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17 has done its work deep inside of you, you're developing spiritual maturity should instead be compelling you to serve. Carnality is about what I can get for me, what's best for me, what makes me comfortable, gratifying my desires. Where spiritual maturity is all about what I can give and how best I can love and therefore ultimately how might I serve. Jesus taught that maturity is, is not based so much on how much you know or, or how impressive you look or how willingly you can get lots of other people to serve you, but actually how joyful and painless it is to serve others. That's the true indicator of spiritual maturity. Dare I say, it's also the way you cultivate healthy and positive and loving relationships. And finally, number four, uh, taking out of verse 21, Father, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. You know, this for me is about the appropriate use of power. Of course, as parents, our, our influence is immeasurable, almost scarily so. And the danger is we, we inadvertently crush rather than nurture. We embitter rather than embolden. We, we cause our kids to withdraw rather than to step out. And we teach them fear rather than faith. You know, I reckon, I reckon people's default state is discouraged. And yeah, we all respond so much better, don't we, to encouragement. We'll get a far better response from people by telling them they can rather than by joining the chorus of people telling them they can't. You know, what your kids 
desperately need is a cheerleader. Here's a powerful image. As a parent for a second, imagine you have your child's heart in your hand. That vulnerable and impressionable and precious heart in your hands as a parent. That heart that badly needs feeding and nurturing and strengthening. The trouble is the carnal tend to overreact and to jump to conclusions and to lash out thoughtlessly and therefore do unintended but untold damage. Whereas the spiritually mature are positively positive and always full of grace. Always on the lookout for ways to build up confidence, ways to feed faith, and ways to inspire hope. I love the Scott Saul's quote tweet that I've, I've mentioned before. When you offer critique, do so gently. When you offer encouragement, do so fiercely. Okay, ready to wrap up now. I'm sure you will all agree that if we have appropriate submission, honor, respect, and deference, that then we'll have traction rather than friction in our relationships. If we would stop competing with one another and start cooperating with the way God has delegated authority. And if we can learn to love unconditionally, then we will have secure and stable relationships. And if we can learn to serve, we'll have relationships that are characterized by kindness and humility and honor. And if we can train ourselves to be relentless encouragers, we'll become builders, we'll become growers, we'll become mentors and people around us will increasingly flourish. And that's what spiritually mature relationships look like. That's what they do. That's what they produce. So much better than relationships that are defined by, riddled by, and jeopardized by carnality. And as Paul is teaching it, all of that is within your grasp if you can live in the truth and the wisdom of Colossians chapter 2. Okay, I'm going to ask the worship team, wherever they are, if they wouldn't mind coming to the front, getting ready. I'm going to offer you a challenge this morning, and I'm going to offer you a ministry opportunity. The challenge is, is this, quite simple. I'd like you to ask yourself this morning, do any of your current relationships require you to change the way that you submit or you love or you serve or you encourage. I suspect that if there is, that's already been stirring around your heart and mind as we've been going through this kind of thing. But are any of the relationships that you're currently in right now, good, bad, or indifferent, do they need a burst or a boost of those And the second one is a ministry opportunity. And as always, we have a prayer ministry team that 
We're happy to pray for you. They'll be over this side here. We kind of leave this side free for people who want to do business with God on their own. But if, but if you come to this side, that the ministry opportunity is this. If you have any damaged relationships, I know if, if you've been listening to this message thinking, I wish I could, well, that really touches a, a raw nerve, or I have a fractured relationship that I'd so love to see whole and healed. If you have a damaged relationship, any relationship of any form, if you come to the front over here, our ministry would love to pray over that and to pray into that for you.